What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Hey everyone, Yas here. And I just wanted to say it's great to have you join me today because I'm sure we're going to have another fantastic episode. So whether you're here for the first time or if you're one of the repeat loyal listeners of the show, I truly appreciate you. But before we get to today's guest, I just have a small favour to ask. And that's if you could just take a brief moment to hit the subscribe button if you haven't already. Ensure that you share it with all your coaching friends. And don't forget to get in touch, guys. Let me know your thoughts on what you think of today's episode or any of the recent episodes you've listened to. You can do this on Twitter at thecoachesnet. Once again, that's at thecoachesnet. And please make sure you do, as I'd love to hear your thoughts, guys. Anyway, on to today's show. I hope you enjoy it. Have a great day, guys. The Coaches Network. Hey, guys. You're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent and personal development. My name's Coach Yas and I'm a UEFA A licensed football coach, coach developer and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. Right guys, welcome back to the Coaches Network. My name's Coach Yas and I've got a very special guest with me today. My guest today is Raj Abnor. Raj, what's going on man? Talk to me. How are you, Yas? You okay? Long time. Hope you're well. I'm very well, Mo. I'm very well. Raj, before we get into the thick of it, though, who are you? What do you do? Let everyone know. Oh, good question. Um, as I mentioned to you previously, I'm not I'm not one to talk about myself, and I'm really not used to this. Um, I know we talk every other week, and it's probably taken two or three years um, to, to to come and do this. But uh, I'm Rajab Noor, uh, pronounced Rajab. Uh, because it's an Arabic uh, name. Um, I am currently in my 10th, 11th season at the Football Association. So mentoring within the DNI space, um, talent ID within the England setup, coach developer, um, as well as a brand new project called Birmingham United, which I'm the current co owner and chairman of the club. Amazing. Amazing, Red. You, you talked there about um, a few different pathways that you've kind of explored and you're kind of currently involved in. Where did it all begin, though? Well, it all began um, just being um, crazy about football, I guess. I think 
going way back, it was a case of knowing that, you know, the people that were around you that were better than you at football, that you thought, you know, will continue their journey in professional football, ended up, you know, uh, not playing at all, which is crazy. And those that were scoring 150 goals a season ended up being a right back and spending a few years in the game and then dropping out. So that was a huge eye-opener. But for me, I think I think the biggest um, point of going into football was coming out of university, um, becoming um, wanting to become a teacher or a lecturer. So doing that part-time, but then a job came up at the FA 2013, a uh, full-time skills coach, um, which, you know, again, working in football is very rare full-time. So very, very lucky to get that role. And it all just started from there. And was that when the skills programme first came into existence, was it? No, it never actually. I think it started maybe back in 2008 or something like that, maybe even earlier than that. And again, the, the high caliber of people that were that were employed to to work within that program at the time was was unbelievable. You had some really really high caliber of of coach educators, coaches, um, and, and and people that are still in the game, still within national setups, or gone on to do other things within sport. So people that have played professionally for many many years. So it was a huge eye opener for me. So let's talk about that. Obviously, what, what does that role look like on a day to day? You know, you, you obviously working with players. Um, how much of that was involved, and how much of that kind of opened your eyes and started embarking on coach development, coach mentoring, that, that element. Yeah. So, in terms of the role itself, as much as I, I, um, I did well in the interview stage and got the role, um, I was one of fifty-two nationally across the country to uh, to do to get the role. Uh, so it, it was almost doubling in size, the programme. Um, one of 52, two-week induction at St George's Park. Now, St George's Park just opened, and we knew we were going to be out within communities, within schools, within community spaces, um, inspiring inspiring the next generation of, of footballers, boys and girls. Um, so I think the programme was so versatile and so flexible. It allowed you to grow. It really did. Had some really good people around me at the time and I just I got my head down and knuckled down and worked on my coaching um, and if I'm honest with you I didn't have a huge experience within the foundation phase so it was doing a lot of stuff with teachers in primary schools um, fully funded this was all free of charge uh, previously we were sponsored by Tesco's and then it went to Lidl um, and then and then obviously uh, the programme ended towards uh, maybe 2018, 17. Um, but it was really, really uh, interesting to, to have that work programme where you're working in so many different environments with so many different people. So obviously, you know, you talk about not having any experience necessarily working at the foundation phase. Um, people would have been selected for different characteristics and obviously different skill sets they bring into the, to the thing. What were yours and how, how, how's that how's that developed from then? Because obviously, I think we talk a lot about coaches having certain roles and responsibilities. We talk about a lot around what a good coach should do or should be. But actually, fundamentally, it's very different depending on what, what environment you're coming from and, where you, and who you're working with, right? Yeah, absolutely. So... I just come off the back of doing my UEFA B license in 2011, um, 
and then doing a couple of the teams. So I was working at my local college, doing a bit of coaching and teaching there. Um, and, and I think, you know, everybody's everybody's worked at some kind of foundation phase level within grassroots. But I think with the skills program, it was a level of expertise. And now there's people around me that were still now experts within the foundation phase. And I never knew that even existed. Now, the only, the only experience that I had was the teaching at university and the practitioner experience going out within grassroots. So I think for me, it was more about what else could you offer? I was already working within clubs and grassroots clubs. What can you offer? What kind of skill set could you bring in terms of your personality, in terms of your technical ability, in terms of knowing how to take a player from, you know, at the age of, of five all the way throughout to 16 um, on that journey of play development. And I think I had, I had some bits in that, but then quite quickly realised, you know what, there's a lot of detail that goes into this coaching, a lot. Now you could... I literally was doing seven days of just developing myself. So it was good to work in different environments. And even on weekends, I'd, I'd go and mix with different areas of the Midlands or even, you know, take the trip to London to, to experience what, what other groups and what other communities are doing different types of work. Just on that then, you talked there about a lot of detail that goes into coaching and it's a, it's a word that's closely linked to coaching, especially within the football world. What, what what does that look like to you? What are you describe what you mean by that? Because you know, there's, like I said, it's it's a, it's a word that's often closely linked to coaching and what and what what coaching should or maybe could look like. Yeah, good question. I think now looking in it, you know, ten years uh, in the industry, um, I think now I'm focusing on the talent identification bit. You look at the fundamentals of what a good player looks like and what does good look like. So, for example, there's different ways of coaching, right? So we went through a stage where, you know, we we're talking about, oh, let the game be the teacher, you know, and then there was lots of debate around um, performance versus potential. So in terms of the coaching space, you know, what is it that we want to create in terms of, the next generation of coaches? What is it that we want to see in a player that has been in the academy system for the last 10 years? What does that player, what do we want the player to look like when, when, when they reach 16 and they're trying to get a scholarship at a club or within grassroots? How do you really keep them within the game? It's not all about winning, no problem. Uh, winning's not a dirty word, by the way. I think we went through stages where people were not using that that that. Uh, winning mentality enough so I think it's more about getting a balance a right balance to the environment that you're coaching and the coaching is all about the young people not about you as a coach not about the parents it's about the young people how do you keep them within the game and how do you develop them on and off the pitch and give them the life skills to progress in life mm. so just building on that then you know you, you mentioned the top there you're looking at what makes a good player. What are the consistent things within that? Because obviously, you know, there is there is bias. There is um, perceptions around, well, 
this is what makes a good centre forward, this is what makes a good fullback. Are there things that are consistent that you look for? Because obviously, and, and sometimes it might lead away from the more technical aspects, right? It might actually lead to character, it might actually lead to, do you know what, they might not be as technical as this person over here, but they've, they're they curious, they're a good learner. What, what, what are you looking at in terms of that assessment piece? How much of that, how much you thought to go towards that? Yeah, really good point again, Yes, I think, you know, we've come away from uh, just seeing who the biggest and most physical player is and at, at the younger age groups, just because, you know, they've peaked a lot earlier in terms of maturation. Uh, it doesn't mean that they're going to be the best player when they when they get to 16. Um, so that those younger players, those smaller players, those um, little dots on the pitch, I mean, do you see what they're doing on and off the ball? And, you know, these are huge huge words that you're using around bias and, you know, we could be here all day discussing this, but most importantly, it's about understanding you uh, as a scout, as a, as a talent reporter, as a, you know, someone who's identifying players. You know, it gets even more difficult when you start looking at the 15 to 20 year olds. Um, so it's about what are your expectations? What, are, what is it that you're out there looking for? And are you going to games thinking, Okay, I want to see this today. So if we're looking for um, a left-sided centre-back, which most people are, um, how often do they step into midfield to find a, a pass down the middle of the pitch? Or they always go sideways and backwards? So if you're really looking for that and someone does it, um, where does that sit within your bias? And also thinking about the unconscious bias side, which is something that you know I'm really passionate about. The fact that, you know, the lack of role models and the lack of Asian players within the game and the lack of um, Asian coaches, you know, does this play a part? If the role models aren't seen on TV, then where are, where are we getting the perception from that these players can't progress? It's quite an interesting one, isn't it? Because the thing is, you, you, you pop, you've really got to challenge yourself to make sure that you're trying, not that you get rid, you can't, I don't know if you can necessarily get rid of your biases, but um, you've really got to challenge yourself to be aware of them and how, how that can be influenced, right? And I guess, you know, part of my thinking is leading me towards asking, you know, like, you know, when you're looking at a player, how much consideration goes into the coach that you're potentially bringing them in to work with? Does that make sense? And like, yeah, if you absolutely. know, if you know that you're, you know, you're, you've gone out to, you know, you're, you're doing, you're putting a report together on, I don't know, this number seven, 15 year old, but he's going to be coming and he's going to be working with Yas, but Yas is quite, quite, you know, headstrong and he's quite firm and in his approaches. And actually, I don't know if this kid's going to be able to deal with that. How much of, how much of that is a part of your thought process? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's, it's not at the forefront, I must admit, but most important, I think clubs are doing some really good work in terms of creating that belonging environment where, you know, if a player comes in and, and you know enough about them to have that sit down with the coach or with the academy manager or the head of the phase to, to, to understand that. It's same within grassroots to understand, you know, how's their day been? Has their week been? What's going on at home? What, what, what's going to come in the next month? And also, what have they been through 12 months prior to that? So it's important. Personalities are really, really important. And I think coaching or talent ID, there's, 
you know, my personality, and I can only speak for myself, and, and I don't like talking about myself, as mentioned to you before, but I work really, really hard on myself every single day to take the ego away from my personality every day. Um, and that's something I plan to continue doing. Um, and that, that comes down to religion. But the coaching and the talent idea, there's a huge ego within the industry. Everybody knows this. You see where there, it's, it's, it's the Premier League matches, the, the, the managers in the technical area, or it's the local grassroots coach who's, you know, we've just been on the course and we want to implement what we've learned on the course, but also it's about me and not about the players because I want to experiment, et cetera, et cetera. I'm just thinking about what you said there about the ego piece, right? Can this industry operate without it? I'm not too sure. That's a good question. I think you have to have a level of confidence for sure. Um, does the loudest person in the room always um, is always the smartest person, but also who is the critical thinker within the room? Who, who, who actually takes the time to understand players as much as possible and puts them at the forefront of player development? Mm. Yeah, it just it just it takes me back to some conversation I've had you know with, with coaches over over the, over time. And well, I, I'll ask you. I mean, how do we scout without bias? So if you're watching a game now, I mean, you, you played in a particular position, or you like a particular player, who's your favourite player? I mean, how do you scout without bias? It's it's all about understanding yourself. Yeah. I think um yeah, it's a good question. I think for me, if I you know, scouting without bias is is or just even observing players without bias is knowing what the what the intention of the observation is, right? So as an example, if you've sent me out to go and look at a particular player, first thing I'm gonna be thinking is, well, well, what are you what are you after? Because all well and good, I can have my bias, um, and that might play a small part in the process. But fundamentally, I'm saying, well, what is what is what does Reg look for in that player, in that position, or whatever that might look like, right? And and ha and, and making sure that you're clear on what that looks like for yourself. Because you know, the number of times I'm sure you've probably come across it where you know, oh, yeah, I've got this great play, you know, he's centre mid or whatever, actually. But and then you look at him and you think, actually, no, he's he's definitely not going to be a centre mid for me. But he's got some good qualities, and you can probably play in a different area of the pitch or whatever that looks like, right? And then it's just then, then, then it's looking at a wider content. You're not just looking at the individual. But what's the environment they're in? Are they clearly above it? You know, head and shoulders above everyone else in the environment. Therefore, they're standing out even more. What's the quality of that around them? What's the opposition doing in that moment to allow them to maybe excel a little bit more? What's the opposition doing to maybe? Um, Counter, counter their ability a little bit more. Do you know what I mean? Do you know what I mean? So, so these are some of the things I'd be considering in, in that. And then it might be right. Well, Reg is looking for this. I'm going to put something together on that. But also, Reg, you know, has some additional considerations based on my own observations, away from what you're specifically going after. Absolutely. So the one I use is is car. Context, action, results, and and you know organizations and clubs are doing some phenomenal work around 
um, collectively making decisions and whether you're you're trying to manage down or up I think you know I think there's some clubs you know that that, that I've recently visited that do some awesome work whether whether you're running a, a local business or you're running a football club that's at the, at the highest level and someone someone who's um, written about this is um, uh, Atomic Habits I don't know if you've you've read the book it's it's all about making good habits and yeah. the importance and making the right corrections and professional judgment. I think yeah. let's come back to your journey a little bit then, Reg. You know, obviously you talked you've know, been at the FA for 10 years. If you were going back into the coaching world now, how would some of this reshape or, you know, or yeah, how would some of this reshape how you would approach coaching and, and, and how you would coach? Because obviously you're not, you're not taking yourself out of the coaching context. So there's less, you probably say there's less emotion attached to it. Because sometimes, you know, as coaches, we do develop relationships with our players. We do develop those connections with our players, which could sometimes influence how we behave around them and how we how we work with them. What what have your experiences working in the kind of the talent ID space and that scouting space helped you understand and learn about maybe what, how you can become a better coach off the back of it? Does that make sense? Yeah, so so uh, after going through the journey, uh, and sometimes you are you are in a bit of tunnel vision, whether you're doing the advanced youth award or the the UEFA license, tunnel vision to implement what the course requires, if you know what I mean. But at the same time, you can't take away what the players need, and and I think the biggest thing that I'm focusing on at the moment is setting the right environment for for players for parents for for coaches for scouts um to really um give that 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 honest and transparent and that belonging um at the forefront of of any environment and i think same with players give you've if you're part-time within a professional club or you're part-time within grassroots you're very very limited with time and i know people say time is an excuse find ways around it so that whether that will be online calls or calls while you're driving, find ways to really uh, ensure that, you know, you are, the, the, the biggest thing that you care about is the players, the players' development, the players' well-being. And I think that is one thing that I probably didn't put at the forefront of, of, of my career, uh, I should say, because I wanted to become that that technical coach. So first day of... of B license 2011. You got coaches from Villa, Wolves, Stoke, uh, and all the local clubs. And I turned up in my grassroots tracksuit. So that was quite daunting, you know. Still at university, and I'm looking around. I'm thinking, um, okay, I'm I'm in the deep end here. And there was some really good detail around coaching and people with, you know, that have played the game. Mm. Um, I was about okay. I I need to adapt to this. So I went away and worked hard. And believe it or not, I was one of five or six that actually passed the course. So those people that came and again, it's it's, it's perception. If 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 tutors like you as a person and they're willing to support you and you honestly want to learn and they see something within you, they are willing to support you. Um, another thing I remember on the on the first day of of our A license, I remember, you know, I didn't know you before the A license, right? Mm. 
I remember you were sat at the front and you were asking question after question. I was thinking, okay, this guy's ready to develop and he wants to go far within his career. Look where we are now. So um, it just shows that, you know, um, if you've got the right desire, you will succeed. It's really interesting what you said about about the, the tutors, right? Um, and I, I just go back to my own B license experience and think to myself, back then, obviously, with things like a 16, 17 day course, by the way, um, guys, not 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 just tutors. Us as human beings, we lean towards positive behaviour, yeah. positive um, communication. If you know what I mean? But carry on. Mm. Sorry. Yeah, no, I was just thinking then. Yeah, I think you're spot on there as well. I think yeah, I think 17 days is what it was, and it wasn't until day 15, at the end of day 15, where I realised, where, where I changed my perception on actually. This tutor is useless to, oh, no, this guy's brilliant. And the thing that changed and shifted for me was exactly what you just touched on there. I actually then, at that point, demonstrated, you know what, I really want this. I'm, I'm now being proactive about going and get that support because this is the other thing, right? And it, it, might, it could be down to experience. It could be down to the individual. It could be, it could just be the way things are. And so once the tutor at the time realised, actually, this guy wants... To develop this guy wants that support i felt like all of a sudden the floodgates opened with all the information and support around it up to then it was almost like well, i'm just gonna i'm just we're just gonna run through the core structure does that does that make sense and, and yeah. I, I felt like he just opened a different door and ever since then i thought right yeah this guy's brilliant because as soon as i became more proactive i started getting more back um and i and i can't you know emphasize enough how important that piece is about it in terms of the development right if it's the same with it's the same with uh, coaches and players how often have you had a player where you feel like yeah this player this player really wants to work hard and you just naturally you want to you want to support them even more because they're giving you that effort in the first place and and even then even as a coach and you know the other stakeholders you know maybe a, maybe a parent looking in on it and it's like if they, if they can see that a coach is working hard to try and do something good they can even sometimes accept that it's not always going to be going to give you more time and more and more and more patience as a result of the fact that they can see that you're genuinely trying and you're proactive and you're passionate about it. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. I think we, we're always talking about um, players' characteristics. What about what about coaches? What about professionals working within the game? Are they a good decision making in terms of asking the right questions, asking the questions at the right time? Um, can you see them in the future being a leader? Would you allow your son to be coached by that person or daughter to be coached by that son? Do they lack character, or you know, are they are they are they sound in terms of all the different departments? So it's about having those fundamentals. So we know that within the room on the A license, there's people that that have been coaching under 18s within Premier League clubs or Cat One clubs um for five or six years and they came on the a license not all of them but there might have been somewhere they thought that they already had the qualification and that happened to me on the b license as well you know that those people that thought that they've been there and done it and quite quickly you learn you know what what they really know and how resilient they are when when tutors put them under pressure because now we're at the age and we're at the experience he has where we know how it feels on the other side of the fence of, of being coach developers um, and as well as mentors and actually 
you know, delivering to, to, to 50 people at the same time, what that really feels like. So, yeah, it's been, it's been one hell of a journey. It's, not, it's, it's, it's a completely different skill set, isn't it? And I think this is another thing that often people, you know, you, especially in the last couple of years, you've seen an influx of people trying to get into coach development, um, whether or not they're actually getting into coach development because it's it's what they what they want to do or it's what they want to develop in or whether it's, you know, it's an opportunity to work for the FA, you know, it's, it's obviously individual. How would you describe the fundamental difference between a, that that of a coach and a coach developer and the skills needed to kind of operate within both? Yeah, good question and a very big question. I think, um, again, we talk about putting the players at the forefront of of, of the process. It's the same with, with coach um, developing in terms of delivering these courses. Um, content is one thing. Putting the content into context is another thing, as well as being able to relate to different environments is another. So if I... If I weren't going out to grassroots coaches and doing mentoring, my, maybe my perception of spending an hour with a coach as part of their UEFA-C development visit might be different. But the fact that it's not just about experience, but you know, people always talk about, oh, back in my day, we did this and we did that. It's all about being at the, uh, at the forefront of how coaches are feeling now and where is it they're getting their resources from and what, what resources do they need at the moment in time and mm. where are they along their journey and what's next for them, giving them those little nuggets that they need to, to progress. Just so just on that, you know, you talk about resources. What 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 are your thoughts on that? Because obviously, you know, you, you came through at a similar time as me in terms of the qualifications. I think you did your B license a couple of years before I did, but we, you know, we ended up on the same A license together. And is that in terms of that level of support, in terms of those the level of resource available to coaches now as part of formal education qualifications that where do you think that's gone you think it's you think it's, it's gone you think there's been it's been stripped back or you think it's been layered on top of you know where, where do you think that sits because obviously there's a lot of coaches now and i think one of the biggest transitions i've seen and changes i've seen in the coach education pathway and just how coaches are being developed is that you, you know there have been arguments to say that before there was probably a bit more of a cookie cutter approach because now it's we're just going to th- allow people to kind of go off in their own direction a little bit and just give them a bit of guidance and support around that. You know, what your, what, what's your view on it? Yeah, I have these discussions all the time, if I'm honest, Yaz. Um, and, and, you know, even, even on the A licence, even coaching, you know, at the highest level, it's all about can you justify what you're doing so when I get asked, shall I deliver it this way or shall I deliver it that way? Or shall I change my coaching style to this? Can you justify it? And again, I keep going back to putting the players at the forefront of the process, um, especially with the older age groups. The older age groups is the business end of football, right? You want to win um, and you want to win as many matches as possible and you want to develop players. So how do you get the best out of the players? And I think coaching now, it all depends on you as a person. Did, did you prefer it uh, back in the day when it was uh, an assessment and you'll get a date and a time and you'll be assessed on that day and you'll get told if you pass or fail? Assessment of learning? Or, or is it now better an assessment for learning and it's not an assessment? It's a um, development visit. So it all depends on you, if I'm honest with you. Um 
all depends on your personality and, and what you prefer. Me doing both, I think, again, I think that there's some people that, that, that they go on courses for the sake of going on courses and maybe not do anything in between those courses. Um, so how do you, how do you hold them accountable throughout the course? They've paid for the course. They, they, they've given up their time for the course. Their clubs sent them on the course. So again, whether it's, it's, it's level one all the way through to, 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 to a license. So it's just, I think the difference is your personality and what, what, what you enjoy better. Yeah. I think, um, I'm just, you're right. I think if it you know, depends on why you're going on the course, but I think, you know, in terms of that assessment for learning and, and that ongoing assessment piece, I think there is, there's probably merits, merits to both, but I want to take you back to the top of what you said about justification. And I think, It'd be interesting to get you what your perceptions are on it. In that, I think when coaches hear this idea of just justify it, they look at it as well, just give a reason why you're doing it. It doesn't actually always justify it, does it? Yeah, again, it's all about knowing your players. If it's about coaching, then context matters, it really does. And, mm. and, and if me and you are giving the same session plan to the same players, we'd still deliver it in a slightly different way. If you've been around long enough, you'll know you won't see a brand new session, but you'll see a variation of sessions delivered in a slightly different way with maybe some different constraints or interventions. So it all depends on you as, as, as a person. No, 100%. So you know, let's, let's talk about it, you know, in, in terms of coaches coming through now, do you feel... In fact, let me ask you a different way. What, what would you say some of the benefits are now of the coach development pathway and the way, in the way it's progressed and developed to where it is now? I think there's, there's, there's a lot more uh, flexibility. And I think, um, I've been, I think this is the third level two type UAPC uh, that I'm currently delivering. And I think now, um, are we more clear than ever? I think we are in terms of allowing coaches to experiment within sessions, but at the same time, we're very clear in what we want in terms of practices and what we want to see. We're very clear with the fundamentals and the six principles of, you know, of, of developing a player and what that looks like. So it's more about the context is one thing, but allowing coaches to go on courses and getting through courses to then trust them to allow it to allow to continue doing that mm. when you when you're driving past the park and you see grassroots happening is what you delivered on a on a course um at the forefront of the sessions or are people still running up hills with the, with the, those younger age groups so i i think i think um it's very easy to kind of dismiss one or the other, isn't it? And I think it's really important to kind of identify, like you said, context is key. Um, even, even going back into something that you said earlier, you know, we've gone from that 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 element of let the game be the teacher to now just accepting that coaching can come in different ways and forms and, you know, just putting the players at the forefront is fundamentally important. So, you know, let's let's examine that a little bit in terms of that let the game be a teacher piece. What, what are your thoughts on that? What's your understanding of that phrase? Yeah, huge debate. And, and for me, coaching is no different to going to school, if I'm honest with you. So 
there's still teaching taking place, there's still coaching taking place. So you set up the practice, you deliver with your object uh, objectives for the session. So it's all about no different to school, what, what you want to get out that day, that session, that week, that block of work. So do you design your practices where it's all opposed? It's all unopposed or do you actually have clear interventions and pictures that are ready to come out within the practice to take the player from one place to the other? So I've always been conflicted by this idea of let the game be the teacher and, and I think it offers an excuse for people to not coach. Right. Um, especially when you talk about, you know, this idea of game based practice, you know, and, and making it look like games and people just misinterpret it as well, let the players play a game. Well, yeah, you can. But fundamentally, as been anything, like you said, coaching is like teaching something, you know, there's still a process in place. Right. And it's not just throwing them into the situation and saying, yeah, go and explore it. There's also got to be an element of unpacking it, re reflecting on it, you know, pulling away the key takeaways and even just identifying the observations and, and the challenges faced by the individuals involved in the process. So I think it's more just a vehicle to use as coach rather than it is to, it is the coaching taking place, if that makes sense. <clears throat> I'm going to fast forward to something else that you said, though. You know, you, you're in this you're in this position now where you're a co-owner of, of the club. Um, and a word that you used earlier about is, is, is role models. When you and I were coming through, obviously you've come from the Birmingham area, um, myself in London. I don't know what it was like for you growing up. Did you have those role models around you? I know that obviously, you know, doing a lot of work now with Birmingham United and trying to create an environment where those role models are visible and present. What, what, what was that? What was that experience for you like coming through? Um, if, if I'm honest with you, um, there were there were a lack of role models, of course, but at the same time, what you've got to understand, the environment that I grew up in, um, I just saw myself as a coach, if you know what I mean. So I didn't want to be different to anybody else. I just wanted to be treated equally. So if I'm honest with you, the first time, you know, I came around the DNI stuff and the lack of opportunities for diverse communities was, you know, maybe 2015. Um, and, and, and I was doing community projects within within the community. And, you know, when someone mentioned around, you know, everywhere I go, people mention around why is it lack of lack of role models and lack of Asians within football. But most importantly, I uh, there was a role actually at the FA which was the mentee program. So at the time, it was more all, all around BAME. And that was the first time, really, I was labelled as a as a BAME coach, believe it or not. Uh, and I don't really like that, if I'm honest with you, and I still don't know. But if an opportunity comes around, you know, I'm here to help anyone, um, regardless of, of the DNI space or not. Did I have people that really guided me? Absolutely not. But at the same time, I had people away from football that mentored me. So it was a case of just building those relationships. But how nice would it be to see someone that looks like you comes from your background to, to be on TV playing football or leading courses? 
just, just on that, then you talk about the mentoring piece. What you know, and and I get what you're saying. You know, there doesn't you know, there's obviously benefits to having someone that looks like you, and you want a sense of belonging. And um, I guess it gives you something to look up to. But you know, for some of us, you know, we we haven't necessarily had that. Um, I certainly didn't even. You kind of interesting that you said that. You know, it wasn't until 20, 2015, a few years into your coaching journey, where you've now been identified as a BAME coach. Um, I actually never thought about it. it. It never even crossed my mind when I when I you know when I was coming through, and, and it was almost. I didn't realize there was even problems that existed within it, because I was the world, and because I was so engrossed in it, and I just wanted to be a coach, and I wanted to develop myself. That was all that was on my mind. So it was only until a few find that I realized, hold on a second, I don't actually see anyone that looks like me. <laughs> do, do, do you know what I mean? It was almost like, and, and I guess maybe I took that for granted because also, it, you know especially in the area that I grew up in, in the part of London, I grew up extremely diverse. So I didn't even, yeah, I just, you know, I just didn't even know. And it was almost, it's interesting because even as my journey developed, you know, there is different groups that started to form and different kind of um, pathways that start to exist for coaches and community groups. And people always just ask me, oh, you know, what, you know, where's all the, where's all the other Asian coaches? I, said, I don't actually know any. <laughs> I don't know it's, any. it's it's a hot topic and I think we need to be very careful as 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 whoever it is the FA Premier League EFL I think we need to be very careful of the direction and where we take it and also um not creating a divide if you know what I mean between the people that have got opportunities and the people that haven't so I think it's 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 a way of you know who who actually confirms challenges or changes um, environments? Who checks and challenges the values of any organisation? How often do they actually update everyone? So I think it's it's a great topic. It's fantastic. But if you speak to the the experts within DNI that have been working in this space for twenty years, they will give you uh, data that is very very clear, which nobody can 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 argue with. So I think they say as well that, you know, we, we are the biggest anomaly in the game, right? In, in that there's so many of us that are participating in it, but in terms of representation at a higher level, it's just virtually non-existent. So I guess, you know, from from your experiences, you know, I try and really have empathy for a lot of people because I understand some of the challenges that exist culturally. Um, you know, traditionally... You know, being from an Asian background, you're probably not all, you know, from for myself anyway. <clears throat> I've never really had to face some of the challenges that I think people have often described to me in that from a cultural perspective, football's not really been seen as an option. Um, it's often not something that's been kind of encouraged as, as much as maybe people want it to be. But I've never had that challenge myself because I guess my, you know, I'm just thinking about my upbringing and, my dad came here when he was quite young, so he was he was quite climatized to the environment, and you know he basically grew up grew up as a British man. Um, whereas my mom on the other side of it didn't really have that, but they just wanted me to go and do something that I was going to be happy with. But obviously, I understand that's not the case for everyone, and obviously, some of the sometimes the cultural challenges do exist. So, I mean, did you face anything like that? Um, I think more so as a player. 
So playing locally at semi-professional level, um, and it still is very, very tough for those players. Hence why we took over a, a semi-professional football club um, to be to be slightly different and to allow people who they want to be. I think the importance of culture and environment um, is huge. Just because um, you've done 20 years, uh, I've seen, you know, the industry change. Um, it doesn't make you a good leader, if you know what I mean. And yes, um, leadership is very, very important. But at the same time, who, who's, who's, who's being held accountable for setting the right environments? And, you know, some of the best environments I've seen, the leaders make employees um, feel really, really comfortable in, 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 in asking uncomfortable questions. So I had a friend last week, um, you know, just, just, just met up casually, socially, and he mentioned about some training that he's done. He's done some training in DNI, and he knows nothing about this topic. Uh, he works in the corporate world. Uh, and, he, and, and they did the training, and after the training, um, the facilitator asked, are there any questions? And not one person put their hand up. So there was a, some awkward pause in there. So it goes back to who's facilitating the course and also how and what, what interventions within the course or training um, did they make people feel comfortable about asking questions they don't really know much about, if you know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, um, it's interesting you say that because I'm actually involved in a, in, a, in, a, in a project at the moment around supporting the development of some, you know, some diversity and inclusion training. And part of the kind of the brainstorm session we had around well, what are some considerations here around what we well, just variables to think about was just that. Well, who's delivering it? Who's actually delivering it? And who is it being delivered to? And why is it being delivered? proper perspective of are you delivering it because you just think it's the right thing to do or because it's, it's the in-trend thing to do um are you delivering it to people who are genuinely interested in understanding because that's part of the challenge right and, and you sometimes see these uh things that come off um where it's almost it's just a tick box it feels like a tick box right so, so it's almost like well, what's is what's the what happens after this? Is it just to say yeah we've we've done our bit, um, and you know you've also then got other situations where there is like you know programs, events, and conferences that kind of really uh, support these causes. But actually, in many respects, you're already preaching to the choir because these these people are there because they already they're already on board with the idea of this needs to be a thing. So, I guess my question to you is. In, in trying to emphasize and you know highlight the importance of you know the need for equality diversity and inclusion across whatever industry it is really what do you think the first step is to kind of really maybe engage those that just don't really think about it yeah i think good point like i mentioned to you the, the experts always talk about environment um, a comfortable environment to allow people to speak up. Uh, people that can check and challenge without fear. Now, we mentioned about 
not consciously knowing or about about the topic maybe 10 10 plus years ago but how does it feel when you when you're seeing people like butch uh deliver courses for the first time or the tough now it uh, doing the the FA stuff full time, or people that look like you, and 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 you can have an open conversation around culture with them, and they understand you. So there's got to be some fluid, fluid, uh, fluid and presence of of the hierarchy, and also clarity of roles, mm. culture of feedback where people are open to feedback, um, and and these are really really important for someone to progress if you really want to be like a, a strategic thinker someone who's who's planning long term and is able to manage up in terms of the, di- the, the 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 direction of a company or the club you know mm. can you really lead others without having that self um belonging and being able to ask the right questions at the right time and statistics are quite clear those those diverse companies and clubs are miles and miles ahead miles mm. ahead and i think we've come a long way but there's still clubs that are lacking resources maybe finances that that that, that can't do as much as others mm. so do you know I, th- I think it's really interesting you mentioned that because it just it just really brought back to point, point um <clears throat> a conversation i had with a coach recently i think it must have been about two three weeks ago um and we just observing the session together and in fact coach was reflecting on a session with me but i've got a bit of an understanding of the environment itself um the environment itself i would say in terms of the players isn't that diverse coach part of the reflection was that basically there was one or two players in the group that he felt the head coach in the environment maybe not neglected but maybe just wasn't as considerate about and i just asked the question as i think do you think there's a there's a perception bias there and and it can it can exist it doesn't have to be malicious it doesn't have to be deliberate and intentional but there could be a perception bias there that they're unaware of in that because there are certain players from a certain background or because they're a certain you know because they look a certain way that then they they associate to behave in a different way therefore actually that's not the behavior that we want in this environment rather than understand actually well, no, they they what they really need is a different approach from a coach mm-hmm. does that make sense yeah again when we talk about environment and we talk about um you know being an expert within that environment what what does that look like um having having the end in mind when we talk about player development mm. is, is really really important and the characteristics of that coach or leader um i always go back to it i used to work part-time with it within a club coaching and depending on how my day's gone sometimes it affected the way i coached and the yeah. way i interact with players which it shouldn't really um, well i mean i think you say you shouldn't and i, I get that from a moral standpoint natural, but right? you're still I, human do you know what i mean <laughs> Yeah, you're still human. You're still going to be affected by everything. I think, I think the ability to be able to kind of, if you like, compartmentalize life outside of the work to the work itself can obviously can you know there there is there is an element of that and expectation in that. But you're still human at the end of the day, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So always, always something I'm working at the minute is this 
psychological char characteristics of, of developing excellence. So, you know, that, that commitment and drive is one thing, but, you know, the goal setting and having that self-reward and um, having that, that imagery uh, of, of what it's going to look like with the end in mind is, is really, really important. Um, and also using, using the social support around you as a person is so important. So I think anybody leading a club or anybody leading a company should have this in mind because it's, it's a huge topic and it's something I'm currently working on. Mm. So let's, let's, let's talk about that. You know, you talk about currently working and, you know, you, you talked about, you, you know, being a coach, coming through as a coach, moving, you know, transitioning into maybe more of a talent, uh, sorry, a coach mentor type role. Now, you know, more focused around talent ID and developing your understanding and awareness around that aspect of the game. Um, but something that obviously we you know we've spoken about briefly is you know your intentions of where you're at now and what you want to kind of do for the future in terms of moving to more of that strategic operational kind of technical director kind of element tell me more about that you know what 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 is it that's in line with that type of stuff that has really kind of you know hooked you in and got you attracted to that aspect of things i th i just feel it's a, it's it's a different world completely you know um how do you really motivate your employees? How do you, you know, reward them in a way that gives them even more motivation? Um, and it's the, the stuff around uh, adaptive, uh, adaptive expertise and having agility and uh, responsible demands of the environment can, can sometimes get stressful. How, how do you manage that for yourself? first and foremost, and the people that are working for you, working with you. Um, it's just critical. I think I neglected within my career the, the, the critical reflection, but I'm glad it came now than, than, than not later. You know, recognising the assumptions to, to replace gaps within your own skill set or your mm. team's skill set mm. or your environment. Like I said to you, some clubs are doing some awesome work. Um, you know, my time at you know, Warsaw Football Club and West Bromwich Albion, you know, I've met some phenomenal people that are doing some fantastic work. So it's more about leaning on the people that you can really count on. So, you know, you talk there about critical reflection being key. Um, when were you first kind of, you know, and I know you talk, people talk about reflection all the time, but I think maybe there's not enough support in, and I'm speaking at, you know, on a general term here, and I shouldn't really kind of, speak in that way but do you think there's enough guidance and support around what good reflection looks like i know reflection does get talked about a lot but i don't know if there's enough guidance and support around what good and effective reflection looks like yeah i think there could be a lot more depending on the environments people are working in and having the time to do it um but also the courses that you've been on are important as well. And they, they highlight the importance of reflection. So, you know, as we started, you know, we, we'd be coaching lots of different environments and planning different sessions. But how much time did we actually reflect? You know, people are saying that you should be working on a um, similar amount of time that you deliver a session to similar a time you should be reflecting. So not just having a driver way of actually reflecting, but reflecting and coming together in those um, difficult meetings, I say difficult, but challenging meetings where decisions have to be made quite simply. So in December, scholarships are 
are given November, December, which is coming up. Scholarships are given to, to under 16s who's staying on, who's leaving the club. And again, it's all about um, reflecting and then how are you, how are you, how are you putting that across to your team? So what is the connections that you've already had? Do you know how to speak to some people uh, in a way slightly different to others? So the culture of, of that environment or department, communication clear with clarity. Do you know what I mean? Is, is there already mm -hmm. collaboration before the meeting in terms of talent ID department, the coaches, multidisciplinary team? Is the commitment there? Do, do you really tell people within your team what you want them to achieve, if you know what I mean, on a daily mm -hmm. basis? And how do they go about uh, doing it? And do you really communicate with people the way that you want to? Or is it the way that they want to hear it? So there's some, some serious detail in there for sure that, you know, I'm learning off some, some, some experienced people. And that's really interesting, that last piece that you said, you know, because for me, one of the biggest kind of cogs in the way I coach and the way I work is, is, is that clarity of communication um, in understanding also that... <clears throat> The message given isn't always the message received and you need to make sure you get that hit, hit that nail on its head because otherwise you've got people going down the wrong route thinking they're on the right the right route and um you know and that, that, i think that, that that translates itself whether it's in coach development whether it's in coach mentor and you know even playing um or coaching just generally how, how clear are you in your communication and it just makes it just makes me think sometimes that you know A lot of people are going to be listening to this on are now probably coaches. Um, there probably might be some some others, but predominantly coaches. So I guess you, from your experience, what can, you know, what 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 are some of the insights and things that you've developed around clarity of communication and how effective that should be, and what 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 it takes to be an effective communicator. Yeah, huge topic again. Yes, I don't know if we've got time for this, but uh, I, I quite like the phrase that you use. It reminded me of many years ago of. Um, learning about yourself how to think and not what to think if you know what I mean if you've been set a challenge are you going about that challenge to please someone or is it more about your own development as well as getting uh, the, the, the done to your best possible um, ability so, so do you really question you know what correlation is there Criti critical friends when you're scouting do you do, do, i see the same people standing together every game talking chuckling you know um banter and do they do that because they're disagreeing or do they stand together every game and watch because they agree and i think you know it's uh it's having those people around you to to check and challenge that, that's the most important thing, especially when it comes to, to, to communication and mm. effective communication is, uh, is important. The pieces that we've done with uh, the main man uh, through communication, remind me his name again, Big Fish, Small Fish. Oh, Keith. Um, Keith Daniels, that's it, that's it yeah. is the main man. Yeah, so, so the things that he's taught us previously is, is uh, phenomenal. And I think um, no matter what field you're working, Getting communication training will take you from uh, 
whoa, whoa, one side of the fence to the other quite quickly. Mm, mm. No, no, definitely. Uh, Raj, I'm conscious of time, right? So I'm, I'm going to ask you one question. If you could go back and speak to yourself at the start of your journey, knowing what you know now, what's uh, some of the key things that you'd want to be able to say to yourself that you think would have put you in, in a better position earlier on? Oh, good question. Um, I don't think there'd be one, but I think it's um, realising early on the importance of connection and and creating your own circle of trust is 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 really really important because that came quite late on maybe you know i did my level one when i was 16 from a local grassroots club and doing the little um mini soccer but for that journey not not knowing where it could lead and working within football spaces creating that circle of trust to to allow you to to progress but also allow you to grow. And I think whether you've got a growth mindset or not, being around that environment is, is really, really important. That, and that's something that we all work on every day. I think, I think you're spot on. I think for me, it's, um, and the growth mindset isn't, isn't one of always learning new information necessarily or, um, sometimes it's challenging what we already do right and i think i think that bit's just as important as trying to go out there and pick up new information and um take on board and reflect the way you know you talk about it being critical being a critical thinker and a critical reflector and i think that piece is so key it's just i think that's probably one of the biggest things that i've learned in my journey as well it's can you hit the nail on the head and it's not what to think it's how to think it's are you looking for reasons why what you're doing is successful or are you looking for the problems that it can exist within it? Because if you're looking for the problems that exist within it, I think this is probably one of the biggest things that I've learned in my journey in full is I'm always looking for a problem. <laughs> um, no matter how good something is, I'm always looking for the problem within it so that because if I can find the problem, then, I, then it puts me on the path of finding a solution. Um, and if I can't find a problem, my life experience has taught me that actually you're not looking hard enough because there's going to be a, there's going to be a, there's going to be a problem with everything that you do. It's just how you it's how it's how you look at it, and like how you think about it, rather than what 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 you're looking at. So I think you, you definitely hit the nail on the head with that one. But um, Raj, again, conscious of time, man. Um, I thank you again for your time this morning. Really appreciate it. And then, yeah, you know, if there's anything, if there's anything that, you know, I can do to support you going forward, then please do let me know. But I wish you all the best on your journey. You know, it's, it's great to see how, how, how far you've come in the seven or eight years that we've met. And obviously, you know, hearing hearing a bit more about your journey that I wasn't aware of as well. It's just kind of really helped me build a picture of how much you've just grown to this point today. So now, well done on that. And I really appreciate your time this morning, Reg. Appreciate it, yes. Good to see you again. Well, there you have it, guys. Another episode of the Coaches Network podcast, where our aim is to bring the world of athlete, talent, and personal development together to just one platform. And you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favorite episodes with everyone that you can think of. You can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at the Coaches Network or on Twitter at the Coaches Net. We look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take care.